You sending the whoop? Shit, that's all you had to say. Get away from her, you bitch. Banana. Fortune and glory, kid. Fortune and glory. You're not even interesting enough to make me sick. It's only an island if you look at it from the water. I'm your density. You think I'm gorgeous? You want to kiss? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sending the Wolf. My name is Clark Wolf. Thank you so much for joining me. I am so happy to have you here. Today is a great episode. I am welcoming comedian and podcast uh, aficionado, Joseph Scrimshaw. Joseph uh, is all over the geek culture space. He is always performing stand-up, live shows, recording podcasts, appearing on your favorite Star Wars-related content. Um, and uh, and he is a great friend. He's, he and his wife, Sarah, are very sweet friends of mine. Um, I have been on Joseph's um, uh, live shows and I have been on his podcast Obsessed and um, it was my treat to welcome him to Sending the Wolf. So Joseph, if you know him from his geek culture um, musings, Joseph is a huge Star Wars fan among other things. And, um, And so... Joseph decided to talk about American Graffiti, George Lucas's film um, that is a coming-of-age tale starring Ron Howard and Candy Clark and uh, Wolfman Jack and Richard Dreyfuss. And, um, you know, this is a movie that Joseph... So Joseph did something that nobody else has done on the podcast. He picked a movie that he had never seen. Um, and, you know, he figured this would be a good a, opportunity as any to um, complete a little bit more of his um, George Lucas filmography. And so we watched uh, American Graffiti and we talked about it. And I have to say, I was, you know, this is a movie that um, in some ways has has not aged well and in some ways has aged just fine. Um, but, uh, and I when I posted about it, I posted about this on Twitter um, a couple of hours ago, a lot of you guys chimed in and said, you love this movie or it's one of your favorite movies. And um, I, you know, I didn't love the movie, But that said, I was really pleased at the conversation that came out of this episode. It was an incredibly heartfelt, thoughtful um, talk about a lot of different things, about high school, about a little bit about nostalgia, about the time period, about George Lucas as a creator, about um, the cast that he's assembled, about uh, geek culture. And being a nerd and um, what we are told our lot is and what we should do and what we shouldn't do and what society tells us tells us who we are and and how we should behave and and who should talk to us and all these things it, it was a it was a really really sweet conversation and I'm I'm really glad that we had a chance to have it um, and today's a kind of a long episode I went through you know usually I go through and I cut um, I cut a little bit and uh, I'll I'll put together you know I'll pull a side conversation and that'll make up our mini episode for the week but 
I wanted to leave this one all intact. Um, so it's a long one today, but but I think it's really I think it's really great talk, and I think you're gonna like it. And before we get to that, I also wanted to mention that Sending the Wolf is going to be doing a live show. Um, so I am coming to Atlanta, Georgia, for the Terminus Conference. What is Terminus? It is a one of a kind event uh, for emerging creatives in film and gaming. And uh, I've been involved with Ideas United, which puts on the Terminus Conference. Um, in various different ways over the over a deck for over a decade, it's it's a truly um, an awesome opportunity for filmmakers and uh, people who want to work in entertainment in general. And um, in the past, you know, some of the people that I've interviewed or or had discussions with, I did a keynote with um, James and Sean Gunn just two years ago, and I have interviewed Carl Reiner and Kathy Bates and and um, just I mean Jeff Goldblum. The list goes on and on and on. So this truly is an exceptional conference. You learn a lot. It's very open. It's very inclusive. Um, and uh, anybody who's interested in film uh, or TV or gaming should definitely look into attending. And if you decide you want to come, so it looks like we're going to do our live episode. We haven't locked in our guest yet, but um, it's definitely coming soon. And we're going to do that live episode on June 5th, no, June 16th, Saturday evening, June 16th in Atlanta, Georgia. If you want to come to the live episode, uh, visit terminusevent.com and uh, if you use the code sending the wolf which is the name of this show so it's s-e-n-d-i-n-g the wolf with an e all one word in lowercase you get 30% off your all access badge yay and uh, you get to come see our show which is super exciting. Um, and so uh, if you enjoy this today's episode, which I am about to get to, if you enjoy today's episode with Joseph Scrimshaw, um, he has, as I said earlier, he has so many different um, shows. He is the host of the Obsessed podcast and the Force Center podcast feed. Um, both of those shows have Patreons. So uh, if you guys are interested in supporting him and everything that he does, you can find all that information on josephscrimshaw.com. He's also so uh, he's also on um, all the social medias and uh, he's the best. So, um, so yeah, there you go. All right, guys, here he is. Joseph Scrimshaw discussing George Lucas's American Graffiti. You're so on. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, you're going to say all the more important things anyway. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but just just so because I don't know. Um, uh, do you is this one? Do you like like this movie? Is this one of your faves, or did you pick no, it just because I of just watched it? Oh. Yeah, because I haven't like I'd seen bits and pieces of like clips, but I'd never watched it. This, so I'm like, this is a fun experiment. This yeah. is great. I like I'm parts so of it, excited. and the other parts are like it's hard to see out of context. Yeah. Well, I was just looking it up right before you came, and. Um, and uh, this movie was nominated for five Oscars. Yeah. Including Best Picture. Yep. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, okay, so if you really hate it, maybe I can help. No, no, uh, no. Yeah. I, don't, I don't really hate it. But I, I, I wrote down, I actually wrote down while I was watching this, this is my dad in a movie. <laughs> well, yeah, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, I don't hate it, but I was also like, Best picture at the Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah. Um, and and also best writing. What best screenplay? I was just like, oh boy. But anyway, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Yeah, best editing, supporting actress. 
And it, yeah, lots of bests. Yeah. Lots of bests. Although I did, as soon as I saw that it was nominated for all those Oscars, I looked up Francis Ford Coppola and The Godfather was the year before. So part of me was like, okay, maybe because he produced it. Yeah. You know what I mean? They like, gave it some, they were a little yeah. more. I don't know, but I have theories. You have theories? Yeah, oh yeah. Okay. Well, let's 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 roll. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Are you feeling good? Oh yeah. Okay. It's a rainy day. Let's set the scene for our <laughs> listeners. It is a rainy day here in Los Angeles. Day two of the storm of the century, as I feel like WSB or whatever. No, WSB is Atlanta, but whatever the uh, <laughs> ABC affiliate, I saw this like headline that was like storm of the century. Yeah, Casey dramatic. Casey, <laughs> Casey drums. Um, but yeah, so we're here and um, I got to, so I was thinking, you might appreciate this. I was thinking earlier today, you know how in Ferris Bueller's day off when he goes outside and he's like, how could anybody be expected to handle school <laughs> on a day like this? I am the opposite. I I've been listening to my Shining audiobook, <laughs> and I just all I want to do is leave the porch door, like leave the door open, listen to the rain, and yeah. listen to my Shining audiobook. That's the way I feel being a person who mostly works at home. Like, right. how can I be expected to work? I want to listen to frightening audiobooks. Ex- it's raining. Exactly, like like ev- like you do, <laughs> like normal humans, like yes. normal people do. <laughs> um, okay, so Joseph, let's start by I don't know if you've heard the show before, but I have. Okay, good. So which one did you listen to? Oh, Jen Yamato? Uh, no, no, oh, no. She did uh, A New Hope. Yeah, she did some Star Wars talking, which I do plenty of. Uh, but no, I listened to the episode with Alicia Malone, not oh, only great. because I really like Alicia, but I really like that movie. Oh, and it's cool. a rare opportunity. Uh, there are other opportunities to hear people, including myself, talk about Star Wars, including probably this podcast, but uh, to hear people talk about uh, the best years of our lives. Yeah, I love that movie. That's great. Where uh, did you, Is that one you grew up with? No, uh, like you and Alicia were talking about on that episode that uh. people who have seen classic movies usually have a gatekeeper. Yes, yes. I have a. I watched a few growing up, but then I have a really good friend back in Minneapolis where I grew up uh, named John Grams. Uh, he is currently the vice president of Fantasy Flight Games, so oh. anybody who knows geeky stuff uh, or is kind of aware of his company. Uh, but he had, just like Alicia described her dad, stacks and stacks of VHSs nice. of classic movies, and we would go over every Sunday for years and hang out. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's well, you know, it's funny because you and I have like hung out and done a lot of work together, but I actually don't know your pop culture <laughs> leanings yeah. outside of like the hardcore geek space. Yeah. And were there any other um, movies on the list that you were like contemplating? Oh, yeah. Uh, the Manchurian Candidate. Oh, I'm a big Sinatra fan. OK, so I'm fascinated with that movie. And then Dracula, I was really drawn to talking about Dracula, too. How so interesting. Those were the two others I, I almost offered. Have you seen Dracula? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's a it's a fave. Yeah. I mean, it's a fave because it's just so weird uh, in how influential it is, and then how much you can still sense the stage play behind yeah. it. I know you and I are both uh, have history in the theater, Indeed. and I just love the part of Dracula where it's totally staged like a play where the big thread is Dracula's our neighbor, and he might pop over while we're talking about him. <laughs> <laughs> just that is true. Dracula as annoying neighbor behind the fence. Yes. It cracks me up. Wait, have you seen? Uh, have you ever seen Ed Wood? 
Yes. How, where do you stand on? Oh, I love it. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. too. One of my favorites. Yeah. I love it too. I like, I do. I like Dracula a lot. Um, I think it has a lot to say. And also I didn't, um, but I do agree with you. You can feel the stage play yeah. all over it. I, uh, I actually didn't know I was listening to this podcast called, um, pleasing terrors. And, um, it's one of those shows. It's not like lore in that it's about folklore, but it's, it's, it's very historically researched and it's like, you know, it's a 30 minute episode that okay. like tells you about a thing, whether that's, you know, a type of creature like the Wendigo uh, up in Canada <laughs> and like, you know, creepy Wendigos or whether it's uh, the story behind how Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein. Right. And um, one of the episodes that they d- that he did was about Bram Stoker and having. So I went to. Romania a few years ago on this crazy Dracula trip that Universal (laughs) put together. I am not kidding because uh, it was for Dracula Untold with Luke Evans, um, which I'll be completely honest, I don't hate. Is it great? No. But is it the worst thing I've ever seen? Not really. Um, But anyway, for the Blu-ray, they took a handful of people, like journalists, over to Romania and took us on this, because in Dracula Untold, he he plays Vlad the Impaler. Okay, yeah. And so it's like trying to tie those two, like, legacies together. Anyway, um, so I saw all of these historical places. Nice. And, um... And so knowing that and knowing the the lore about Bram Stoker and like, you know, oh, well, he didn't really, um, you know, he didn't really do any research. And he just like allegedly flipped through a book and saw Castle <laughs> Bran and was like, oh, this will be Dracula's castle. Yeah. You know, and now they have a whole tourist industry where they're like, and Vlad stayed here for two weeks one time. <laughs> but it's a, This is like the quality in of old timey Romania. It's, it's kind of hilarious because it is in this castle is in Transylvania. Uh. And um, it was uh, the Romanian princess in the 1920s was a big socialite. So she redid the whole castle. And it, it has, I mean, it, it's beautiful. Is it redone to be like gothic or is it no. like really fun it's now? It's really beautiful. A it's perky just, and bright? Yeah, I mean, it's just like a beautiful, <laughs> Bullshit. like, yeah, exactly. 1920s, 1930s, you know, um, classic European. Okay. But it's, it's very modern, you know? Yeah. And uh, But what they did is they have one room that's a torture <laughs> room that is, uh, I mean, hilarious. Yeah. And uh, But I will say they 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 took us up to um, this beautiful dining room and they served us this incredible meal and they really gave us the the Vlad and Dracula experience. Okay, but that's really cool. Anyway, that was a long way to get to the fact that I just listened to this podcast about Bram Stoker and I didn't realize that he was uh, closeted. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I didn't know any of that and I didn't know any of his history and so hearing that and knowing the general story of Dracula, which has been sort of retold a million different ways, was kind of like really interesting to me like the thought of the outsider and this like mysterious classy gentleman who's also dangerous and yeah. does that make sense inattractive yes. Englishman comes to his castle and he's like how about if you don't leave for a exactly. while yeah I mean there's a lot going- that's why I love the book uh, the movie Orson Welles has a great radio adaptation Ooh. that he did in 1938 Ooh, I'd love uh, to hear that's that. amazing but there are just so many different 
ideas and feelings and just human uh, things that we struggle with that you can read into Dracula. So, yeah. Well, and so did your interest in pop culture start from, I mean, I'm sure it started from when you were little. Yeah. And, um, but did it, did it carry through meaning like, you know, whether it's the Sinatra's or, or the classic horror or Star Wars or geek culture, like, did, did you find that you honed in, in your own taste on geek culture or was that like a professional thing does that make sense yeah yeah oh the professional thing came much later uh-huh. in life and still to this day shocks me that <laughs> anyone would want to hear me talk about james bond or doctor who or any they of do. these things uh because no i grew up with it as this is my true passion this is what makes me feel alive and thoughtful and i can't stop thinking about uh you know what would it be like to be robin the boy wonder and you know where would i go if i had a tardis and like <laughs> that was where my mind was and that's not where other kids minds were like star wars in like batman were like barely socially acceptable right all through the majority of my life even the beginnings of my comedy career it would be like we don't don't you could maybe mention batman but you know if you get, go so deep as to like mention doctor who like the audience is going to be either confused or actively angry so with you so yeah it's a rel- to me it still feels relatively recent that all of the things that i grew up loving are now like the powerhouse of our general culture yeah it's this this is a total tangent tangent but um when you as a batman fan found out that tim burton was gonna make a batman movie what was your reaction uh i was thrilled Uh yes uh my bedroom at the time in summer of 89 had like a slanted ceiling so uh (laughs) michael keaton stared down at me pursing his lips in his weird leather bat suit and i (laughs) young straight teenage boy is like great (laughs) i want to have that looking over me every night Uh, sure yeah it was great yeah i loved it you know and it's fun to think about it coming out now because it does mess with the batman mythos incredibly and nowadays there would be 800 angry think pieces and then it was like great it was some batman on screen right thank you yeah that's all we need yeah i mean i think there's something to be said for the broad strokes yeah you know and especially something that is outside of um pop culture because it kind of was or outside that's mainstream culture yeah. at the time um painting with the broad batman strokes and the broad joker strokes yeah. it's like you know i mean i don't know i think it, it's you got to find a way in yeah exactly and um so who's your favorite batman on screen oh, batman uh, probably still michael keaton yeah me too. yeah because i think he did a good job of playing bruce wayne agree and a tortured weirdo agree. which is the two sides of the character yes <laughs> i i i concur i concur um so all right so american graffiti um, I love that you picked this because you said that you had never seen it or hadn't seen it in a while. I had only seen like bits and pieces. I had never in sat clips. down to see the whole thing, which is ridiculous as big of a Star Wars person as I am. Yeah, but I, you know, I was looking up Lucas uh, before you got here and his director portion of IMDb is by far the smallest portion of his vast filmography oh yeah he has more acting credits <laughs> i think if i'm not mistaken i mean baron papanoida in attack of the clones <laughs> yeah, revenge he, of the sith he showed up at all of these like you know i guess in all of his buddies movies or something okay um but uh but yeah it was and i was looking at it and it there the jump between directing credits goes from a new hope to a um phantom menace yeah which i was like whoa <laughs> um but but it's interesting because I his career is one that I think is fascinating and would be would be very curious. 
Rufus, get out of there. <laughs> Rufus is wanting to join our conversation. Um, but I would be really curious to, to sort of, uh, I hope that one day there's like a definitive biography or something like that on him. Because, you know, how do you go from... And I mean, especially too, if like Oscars are going to be the um, the pinnacle of of um, credit or yeah. acclaim, the idea that you go from being an Academy Award nominee for American Graffiti, you go from that to Star Wars, which also not only blew up the entertainment industry, but had all the had Oscar love and nominations. Yeah. Rufus, <laughs> Rufus, come here. What are you doing? This has been a recent development. He's that Rufus been, wants to be on the podcast? Yeah, he's been very good. Like, he usually just goes and curls up in his bed, but but yesterday and today, he is just all up in the show. Something about American graffiti just, just excites him. Pulls, it's a, yeah, exactly. Well, how can you blame him? Um, <laughs> but anyway, to go from such directing acclaim, especially from a recognition from yeah. the Academy to not directing another thing for decades yeah. is bizarre to me. Well, there's lots of reasons for that yeah. uh, uh, in, in his general sort of anti-establishment attitudes yep. that I think he had that I think are in American graffiti pretty prominently. Uh, it's fascinating to see them a little bit more uh, their beginning here because famously in, in Star Wars, he had the actual fight with the director's guild. right. Um, he didn't want to uh, work with the studios and he only kind of used them to get the initial hit of Star Wars and then did everything himself, got kicked out of the Director's Guild because they wanted the director's name listed at the front, which would have messed up the whole crawl thing mm. in Empire Strikes Back. Uh, so he paid fines and, and got kicked out of the Director's Guild for all that. So uh, there's lots of reasons for him to start going, yeah, you know, I've always wanted to be the outsider. I've never wanted to be a part of mm -hmm. organization. That theme is everywhere in Star Wars. Mm -hmm. It's why the Jedi are all jerks in the prequels, because yep. it's an institution, and to him that's institutions start rot yeah. immediately. Uh, so that that's fascinating to me, that he is so passionate about being a storyteller, but he distrusts organizations, he puts all of his trust in individuals, and he's an impatient writer yes and director so he wants the stories to be told but just like all writers he hates writing yes <laughs> <laughs> so there's to me this fascinating push pull in this guy between i believe in individuals i want stories to be told i primarily identify as a storyteller but I dislike all of the institutions and the process by which it happens so then I think he has this push and pull which is why I think most of his credits are producing credits mm -hmm. of like hey I have this idea Everybody else, go make it happen. Yep. I have ultimate authority. I can tell you yes or no. Yep. He basically directed uh, Return of the Jedi, but hired another director that he just stood behind saying, don't do that, do this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so he, he's a fascinating person. And one of the reasons I was fascinated in American Graffiti is every we talk about Star Wars as an institution and as a movie, yep. but it's him. Yeah. This one guy changed uh, the entertainment world. Yeah. And therefore the world massively because of his own sort of little weird mini obsessions. Yes. And you can see the birth of them in American graffiti. Absolutely. I agree. And I, I felt like there was there was even some like, you know, um, we talked about this on your Obsessed podcast when we all gathered uh, to talk about Last Jedi. And we talked about the the humor, you know, and the, and I'm sure you've talked about it in uh, ad nauseum at this point but <laughs> yeah. um but you know i felt like a lot of the gags or a lot of the jokes just felt like so in american graffiti i was like yeah this feels like this feels like star wars to me like yeah. this you know this is something that is inseparable from uh from him you know i feel like g the goofy nature is his personality yeah. you know 
Yeah. And I think it comes through in this one big time. Yeah, yeah. He's this uh, guy who loves racing and <laughs> yeah. things that on the surface are macho, but that's my favorite Star Wars is not very macho because Luke is pretty much a, a kind, gentle, caring guy. Yep. Han Solo, the one who should be macho, constantly undercuts himself and admits his own flaws. Like Empire Strikes Back, if you watch, almost every line of Han's is a bold declaration immediately followed by a small doubt. <laughs> like his lines are literally undercutting yeah. uh, the the idea of being macho. And I feel like that's the biggest thing to me that is, that's interesting about American Graffiti is that it is much like The Last Jedi just was about men trying to live up to these values that society has put on men of being aggressive and dominant and in charge and failing and then being supported by women or being told by women, it's okay, you can go ahead and be vulnerable. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because um, everything you just said, I think, really comes to the forefront in uh, Ron Howard's character. Yeah. I, okay, so. <laughs> <laughs> Did I, you struggle with this film? Um, A little. Yeah. But, but I also feel like. I was like, I literally wrote down is, was Ron Howard just the coolest person that George Lucas knew? Because <laughs> that casting of him in this role felt so weird to me. Yeah. Like women throwing themselves, like girl, all these girls like throwing themselves at him and oh, he's the class president and all this stuff. And I'm like, and he's, he's such a dick to Lori. <laughs> and I was like, bitch, you acted like you're going to go to school <laughs> Like, all these people are going to... Not to say, like, you know, I was a nerd in high school. Like, get it. We all, you know, fine. But, yeah. but I'm just saying, like, I just was a little kind of like, what is this about? You know? Yeah. Did that... Did any of that... Did you pick up on any of that? Like, the lady... He just... His type was not the type that I would expect to cast yeah. in a role where girls are just like, hey, want to come over later? Oh, hey, I, I need to have my own thing because I'm going to go off to college and, like... Yeah. You know? You know what? It made it sense to me from my life experience. Okay. Because uh, you got Toad, who's just the nerd. Yes. Uh, and I related to that. You yes. got Kurt, who's the troubled romantic intellectual, which I yes. also <laughs> sure. relate to. Uh, and then you got John Milner, who is the high school glory guy, who he himself is weighted down with the knowledge that his glory is about to pass him yes. by. And, and everybody else seems to be vaguely aware of that. So he used to be cool. And then uh, Ron Howard's character, I think it's Steve. He is that guy who's just, if you go back to the uh, sort of ideals of the 50s of you don't want one that's too flashy, you don't want one that's too attractive, you don't yeah. want the one's a loser or a nerd, you want one who's just going to stay home, get the solid job, be cute enough, but be there for you. I think it's the kind of the bullshit attitudes of what we were, um, what societally you were trained was like the right kind of man to just create your your happy little nuclear sure. family. And that rings true for me personally because I went to a very weird high school in Minneapolis that was kind of uh, in some ways regressive because it had a lot of influence from the generations that had gone there. Mm. And I felt like while it was both very, very modern and at the time I went there and had a lot of modern challenges, it also had a lot of very stereotypical uh like ideas that are in American mm -hmm. graffiti about there is a process to dating and it involves dances and it involves being having good academic prospects, but also not being too flashy. You also want to be a little bit, a uh, bit humble. Mm -hmm. And I knew lots of guys like Steve. 
Wow. They're like, he's not dangerous, but he's not a nerd. He's just right to cling Safe. to for life. Interesting. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's funny. So I had yesterday my friend Todd Gilchrist, who's a writer. I had him in here and we were talking about his movie was a uh, last picture show and which is another movie, you know, set several years later that looks back at an idyllic, idyllic time uh, where, you know, about teenagers and they're finishing high school. Yeah. And my reading of the characters and my experience of the characters were so different than his yeah and and it was really really interesting and I think that and it sounds like that is happening again which is good and also and fine but it, it just was it also was interesting too because like you know this is this is Lucas I would assume looking back at his yeah. high school days 10 years later which is fascinating to me the amount of just sort of like longing for the past yes. i mean that makes it's only 10 years later but it's also 62 which is right before the kennedy assassination yes. right before vietnam explodes so it, it definitely has like a lot of movies of the 70s that like remember when we were innocent yes but this one is funny to me he's like 10 years isn't that long for you to be pining this hard I mean, for the past at least uh because i looked it up and greece so greece was came out in 1978 and that was uh took place in 1959 so it's not it's not the exact same yeah. as um as American graffiti, but it's in the neighborhood. It's in the neighborhood, yeah. Um, and uh, and and that, but that has the hindsight of you know sixty nine, almost twenty years. Yeah. And yeah, like you're saying, like he's this young guy is looking back so much, <laughs> just like, but remember, it's like yeah. we remember. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. But to me, it's like it, the movie is very funny, but it is it, it's it does have that like I idealized sheen over it of longing for a past that was never truly there yeah. you know you see through the eyes of adulthood that the world you imagined wasn't true but you kind of still want to go back to that world mm -hmm. that's i find that way feel that way sometimes about like two days ago i understand that's a natural <laughs> human thing to do yes. but also the movie is funny as the movie is uh and kind of light-hearted and zany to me the overwhelming feeling is is sadness yes I of agree. that like being torn between comfort and adventure like Basically, this movie is kind of about the hero's call of yeah. do you go out into the world or do you stay where it is safer? And that it's just so uh, uh, powerfully connected to everything else that Lucas has done. And I think a very powerful just general human feeling about do I stay where it's safe or do I go out for the possibility of adventure? And I feel like the movie doesn't make a decision because it has the characters go in different yes. directions. So it's not like... It's not like it's just Kurt's story and Kurt decided right. at the end to leave. So, yay, that's the statement. It's about this, to me, this frozen moment of indecision about should I stay warm and cozy or should I brave the fire and excitement well, outside. Well, and then when you look at, if you make, if you continue the George Lucas comparison, like the idea that do I play it safe or do I go out there? And in just a couple of years, Star Wars happens. It's like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's like, he's in this little, like, do I, do I go? Do I not? And it's almost reflected in the movie. Like, yeah. you know, and then, and then just a couple of years later, his college is fucking star wars you yeah. know like it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of amazing yeah it is pretty amazing and he got to that by that mixture of comfort and adventure of like i'm going to star wars is because he couldn't get the rights to flash gordon because he wanted to relive his childhood yep. but make it fancier so uh it, it, it I, i'm fascinated with the 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 divide you know star wars and so many other things are the divide between the dark and the light yes but uh, it, to me it's about adventure and comfort and, yeah and star wars ends up being both for him because he takes he goes on this huge adventure to make it happen, 
But all of this, the this creating this whole new thing that changes the entire world is so that he can relive the feeling of watching Flash Gordon, which now, all of these years later, $4 billion later, uh, sell, sells it to Disney, and now he can sit in a theater and just watch his Flash Gordons that are now called Star Wars. That's crazy to me. Yeah. Here's a Blu-ray, George. Enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So so what were some other things that stood out to you? Because this was my first. I mean, I think that my dad, my dad definitely had this soundtrack when I was okay. growing up. And he and I think my dad showed me this movie uh, when I was little. But like, you know, it was one of those things where I was little enough to where I wouldn't pick up on really anything that was yeah. going on. It was just sort of like my dad likes this movie. So let's watch it. Um, so so I had no memory of this whatsoever. Yeah. And um, aside from clips, like you were saying, like I had seen the Harrison Ford, you know, like in the in the cowboy hat. Which is of, hilarious. It is really hilarious. And his accent is so thick. Like, is it a Chicago? What? I thought it was Southern, which speaks to maybe not the quality of it. Uh, that you is. say Chicago and I say Southern. It's, so maybe South Chicago? I, I mean South Chicago. I wonder where Harrison Ford is from. I actually don't know that off the top of my head. Do you? No. Yeah. Well, anyway. Um, but but that's what I knew about this movie was it had an iconic soundtrack. It was George Lucas before Star Wars. And, uh, and, uh, and it discovered Harrison Ford, the carpenter. Yeah, the carpenter. <laughs> yeah. In playing a very non-Harrison Ford role. Yes. The fact, this, when they cut to him with Laurie and he's just, singing that song some enchanted <laughs> evening yes that I, I wrote that down as my note like when i i, I watched it to say like is this the one i want to talk with clark about and like yeah this has got uh, harrison ford singing some enchanted <laughs> evening and maybe a southern accent yes I, i'd so, like yeah. to talk about this I, i'll take that one please but yeah so okay so those were the three things that i knew about it and then the, so i came to it you know um with fresh eyes as well so what were some of the things that stood out to you the most about yeah. about this i think the the number one thing is that Every character's, every one of the male's character's journey was defined by the needing to be vulnerable, needing yeah. to put on the air of not being vulnerable. I mean, with the main story with John Milner, we have the fact that, oh, he's trying to pick up a woman. He gets this 12-year-old, which obviously has a lot of weirdness going on that uh, did not age well. Nope. But uh, that aside, it's kind of this sweet thing where, like, he clearly doesn't, she's fun and, you know they kind of connect in both feeling like outsiders and unwanted. Yeah. But he can't admit that. And there's even down to that like scene of he's starting to talk to her and then some other women pull up in a car and he reverts immediately to his slouched cool guy pose, which is just explicitly saying, we know that the facade that we as men think we must put on to be accepted by women mm -hmm. is this cool damaged, I don't care. Mm -hmm. Hey, do you want, like, and to me it's really funny, but it's also sad. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like that, have, you know, you, you talked about Steve. I love the line uh, when he's dancing with Lori, where she is basically taking away his sexual agency and uh -huh. saying, I'm the one who had to hit on you. Uh-huh. I love the line. Even I, I even asked my father why you hadn't kissed me. Oh, that's so. <laughs> yeah, it's so great because yeah. it, to me it is just about why uh, uh, feminism is good for everybody. Yes. In that it relieves men of the responsibility of this. Like Toad, the Toad part is kind of my favorite because mm -hmm. I think he's successfully funny. The liquor store thing is all yeah. funny. Trying to buy the ID, um, and how much the woman that he's out with Candy, he's trying so hard to impress her, and she just. 
she just wants to have fun. Yeah. And she doesn't need to be impressed. She just takes him at his word of like, oh, you own horses for hunting? Weird. (laughs) Cool. What happened to your hunting ponies? And then when he finally breaks down and reveals that it was kind of like everything he did was a lie. He's like, well, you showed me a really good time. I mean, I I got to see you get sick and get in a fight and it was fun. Why not? And uh, to me, that, that would be like a good message that we could take out of this movie. Yeah you know, up to this day of just like, let it go and be vulnerable. Um, the other big thing is the whole Wolfman Jack presence. Yes. yes. Was really powerful to me because it was to me, two different Star Wars ideas. Mm. One is the really explicit, literal Wolfman Jack is the mentor of all these kids. He's the one who's kind of floating through the airwaves and guiding them in this source of great power and knowledge. So Kurt literally goes to him of like, I am chasing this mystery woman, this idea of what I think I want in order to convince me to stay here and not go to college. So I will go to Wolfman Jack to to give a tribute. He will tell me. Yeah, and Wolfman Jack does exactly what Yoda does. He pretends to not be who he is to test the sincerity of this pupil. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that was kind of amazing to me to see that just like literal... Uh, mirror of Empire Strikes Back. And then uh, I always go deep and weird when I talk about Star Wars. No. But even going deeper and weirder, Wolfman Jack in the film is almost literally like the Force, the way it is described to us in Star mm-hmm. Wars by Obi-Wan and Yoda and Luke in The Last Jedi. It's, it's just this presence mm-hmm. that is generated, that is everywhere. Mm-hmm. And when this whole movie is all of these people in cars, in restaurants, there is always a radio on. Yeah. This omnipresent music yes. is all coming from Wolfman Jack. He is the voice that's uh, making jokes and making them feel good about life. And he's just literally floating through the air, just connecting everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a great observation. Yeah. it's And I feel like the characters find it like um, comforting. Yeah. It's, an, it's something that becomes organic. Like to me, there's a lot in this movie that's like this push and pull between, like I said, comfort and adventure, but like, it's all at night, so all of the lighting is unnatural. Right. It, it Almost all of the interactions are mediated by technology, yelling at each other from in between cars. Yes. Uh, and, and all sorts of stuff like this where the, the movie explicitly, when you describe it, is like, oh, it's a coming-of-age story about the comforts of home. And like, yeah, but it's at night. All the arti- light is artificial, and it is more often than not, people are obstructed by some sort of technology in their communication mm-hmm. with one another. So there's a lot about it that should be uncomfortable. And that little presence of Wolfman Jack is mm-hmm. just like always like just slowly, slightly behind everything, making everything smooth and calm and okay. Yeah, that's so interesting. Did you notice um, the, the, the coming of age film, right? I wondered, um, and I don't know, I don't know about what came before American Graffiti, but part of the reason that I wonder if it has stood the test of time is because it was maybe like the first or or the definitive coming of age film in such a way. So like I was thinking about, uh, I was thinking about, um, um, uh, why am I blanking? Matthew McConaughey and uh, Dazed and Confused. Oh, yeah. I was thinking about Can't Hardly Wait. I was thinking about all of these, like, these movies that have come later that are basically American graffiti. That's yeah. all that they are. Like, Can't Hardly Wait because of, I grew up the time I grew up, and that's sort of burned in my brain. Yeah. But, they're, like, the conversation with Wolfman Jack is basically the conversation that he has with Jenna Elfman, the the, uh, the angel okay. that comes out of nowhere. Like, it's... Um, I, 
I don't, have you ever seen Can't Hardly Wait? Uh, uh, no, I have well, not. Well, it's a very fun 90s high school. <laughs> it's the last night of, you know, last okay. day of school. Yeah. Or, and, and Preston, our lead, our sensitive lead, um, played by Ethan Embry, is leaving the next day to go to Princeton. And all he wants to do is tell the girl, and the girl of his dreams, played by Jennifer Love Hewitt, has broken <laughs> up with her jock boyfriend. Yeah. So he's just trying to get this letter to her uh, before he goes. So anyway... Of course, the, it's all set against the backdrop of the biggest party uh, in town, the biggest high school graduation party ever. Okay. And so you follow all these other characters who are, you know, pretending to be things that they're not. It's all about high school. It's all about, it's this. It is literally yeah. this. Yeah. Um, except without cars, it's just like, it's just set in a party in a small town. But it's, it's anyway, I bring that up because I wonder if uh, if American Graffiti is remembered because it really did lay the groundwork for how this story is told for forevermore. Yeah. 16 Candles, same way. This right. is a lot of similarities to 16 Candles, to me anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I think people watching it, uh, you know, years past, I think, have that same kind of relationship. Mm -hmm. Like your dad probably had the relationship with American Graffiti, that you know you're gonna have with can't hardly wait right. you know in 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 a bit um yeah i think that maybe there is something about the power of it that it advertises itself as one thing and then it is just kind of quietly Some, insistently yeah. something else just under the surface yes i think that makes sense yeah, that people could come to it thinking like, oh, this is fun. Remember that music? Oh, look at Dumb Toad. And oh, yeah, no, oh, that Bob Falfa, he's he's a, he's a troublesome one. Yeah. But, you know, and kind of rooting for John Milner. And I, I knew a John Milner. And I, like there's so many ways that I think at the time it probably could have just been approached as a like fun romp. But that feeling of underlying melancholy and thoughtfulness is so present until that final card. What the fuck was that? Yeah, right? That was crazy. <laughs> that was crazy. Yeah. What? So, okay, for, for, I mean, the people who listen to this, they know that we go full spoilery. Yeah. So whatever. But, um, yeah, so explain what you're talking about for people who maybe haven't seen it. So it's got the final card. It's not a documentary, but it's got the final card, like a documentary of what happened to the four main male characters. Mm -hmm. And I read on Wikipedia. Uh, one of the one of the co-writers is a woman, and mm -hmm. she was mad at Lucas that Lucas would not add another title for the women, which I entirely agree with. I did wonder where they were. We did spend a lot of time with Lori and the yes. little one and and Candy Clark. And anyway, yeah, yeah, and they yeah are very important to the story. But anyway, the uh, title card reveals basically the horrific shadow of the realities of life, and in particular Vietnam. It says that John, uh, the cool bad boy, is killed by a drunk driver in December 1964. Toad, the super silly comedy nerd, is reported missing in action in Vietnam. Steve is an insurance agent in Modesto, which means he never left, mm -hmm. which can have its own baggage. And then Kurt, the guy who left, is a living writer in Canada. What? So like every one of these has like, are, they're so loaded. Like I don't, I don't know exactly how they were received at the time other than probably I think this title card is what made sure it was Oscar bait. Uh, uh huh. Because sure. the emotional bait and switch of this is just a little fun. Look back at remember before Kennedy was assassinated when we we're all a little younger before Vietnam and all of our illusions were ripped away. Remember how that great what that was, and now and now it's like oh, but this is about now because that's where these kids are and, yeah. headed. That's not you know the uh, horrors of reality are unavoidable. Basically, it seems like it's kind of like hey, you spent 
90 minutes watching Toad try to buy booze yeah. for the pretty lady and and he's missing in Vietnam is such a like splash of water in the face. You know what? You just reminded me too. At the end of Can't Hardly Wait, they do title card. They don't do like a like a card the way they do, but they do show you like um footage you've already seen and they update you and they tell okay. you where everybody in the cast has has ended up oh nice um so it really is american graffiti except in the 90s yeah that's interesting to me yeah but not to take away from the fact that like that was so jar- the way that they did it and the fates that they all had were so jarring and yeah. disappointing and it was almost like i mean it was um uh, I don't know. I It was very upsetting. And also, I felt like the soundtrack was misleading, meaning like, yes, of course, it paints the it paints the picture of the time um, and takes you right back there. But at the same time, it's like, they play it over the Beach Boys. You're like, <laughs> cue the Beach Boys. Also, uh, missing in Vietnam, drunk driver, Beach Boys. Beach Boys. And I was like, what is happening? It's the light and the dark, both at the same time. Well, I think my favorite... Uh, uh, from a comedy perspective is it it almost makes Kurt the hero of like Kurt left and he is a writer but then in Canada in Canada like and nothing against our Canadian neighbors no they're doing better than we are yeah, they're doing much better but in a stereotype of if you wanted to make Kurt the hero would be in Los Angeles in New York or City. San Francisco or, yeah. yeah or New York but like in Canada so he's doing a little bit better it was that's such a <laughs> yeah it is it is a weird choice like it's a weird little yeah. addition and this to me is uh yeah so I was reading that Lucas had to fight for it uh and that Francis Ford uh Coppola had to weigh in mm. and say no this is George's movie because I think they were starting to get excited uh the studio is starting to get excited that it was getting good good buzz and uh-huh. they're getting excited about releasing it. I'm like, well, what if we get rid of that uh, horribly depressing sudden tag that changes the yes. movie in the final second? And Lucas was adamant. And I think this is where we get into, um, you know, people criticize him. Like, oh, he, he made the Ewoks and he turned the entire movie industry into a toy generating yep. system. Everything is sequels and blockbusters because of George Lucas and all this stuff. He's an auteur mm-hmm. in the most traditional sense you might not like it yeah (laughs) but he does what makes sense to him and you get to know him through his films as this very strange unique human being Mm -hmm. and this is you this wasn't like him going i know i'm gonna do this clever move this is not an m night Shyamalan where like i'm gonna twist the knife at the end it's just like this just made sense to him and to most humans you'd go like you made a wistful but mostly really nice coming of age movie why would you throw a vietnam canada <laughs> title card up at the end and to him is like because that's the story yeah that's, uh, it's always what it has been and it just makes sense it's not a trick it's just the auteur theory of this is how i see the world and i want to put it on screen so you see it too yeah it's um did you watch the spielberg documentary up on i HBO? have not um i i recommend it um but one of the things that they spend a lot of time on in the beginning are Lucas, Coppola, Spielberg, and De Palma. And they're just like hanging out and what they're up to. (laughs) And it's like what they're up to right before Steven Spielberg made Jaws, you know, or, or when they were, they were finishing up film school or they were like, you know, in that place. And, and the biggest thing that I think was that they kind of put out there about Spielberg specifically was that, um, he was such a nerd. Like he loved technology and weird stuff and all they did, all these guys did was 
sit around and talk about movies yeah. and like they and of course you know as a result of it's funny because I, I made that comment earlier about why are all these women like throwing themselves at, <laughs> at Ron Steve, ha- at yeah. Steve but then again like you know um, Amy Irving was was uh, Spielberg's like lady and I think first wife if I'm not mistaken yeah. the actress um, from Carrie she's beautiful and cool and she's like a Hollywood lady and like you know that's Steven Spielberg's <laughs> girlfriend so sure so I mean and you guys know if you listen to this podcast you know I am not hating on any any nerd culture whatsoever and I like I am what I am part of this group but it is interesting like the way you bring up the idea of like no no no, this is just how this very unique and somewhat strange individual sees the world yeah and what he what they did what this group of guys did in this period of time was find all of these other weird strange individuals that got them and they just so happen to influence and change everything <laughs> absolutely <laughs> that, everything like yeah. it's crazy yeah and this was partially american graffiti was a challenge i think from all that that buddy group of you know influential filmmakers to be like can you make something that's that's popular because right. THX 1138 had not been popular right uh and it was you know direct sort of commentary on the woes of the day and I think Lucas became fascinated with like okay yeah I can tell a story that's more marketable but I'm not going to lose the like I feel really strongly about yeah. Vietnam I feel really strongly about our politics which is why it's extra absurd when people think that Star Wars is now getting political. Yes. Star Wars was made as a response to Vietnam. Yes. Yes. Grand Moff Tarkin is Nixon. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not literally, but. And it's also not <clears throat> subtle. Like it's all, I mean. No. Uh, yeah. No, no, it is not subtle. And it's not even subtle in American graffiti. They, there's all, there's the whole rigging up of the cops. Mm-hmm. There's the, the direct con, uh, comparison between the, the gang, the pharaohs and the fine, like upstanding establishment adults where like the pharaohs want to rob the the store that kurt goes to and and they think kurt is one of the good boys so Mm -hmm. kurt has to like basically go and glad hand the establishment while they're robbed and i think there's a, a particular line about like uh one of the establishment people says to him who owns the the shop like i hope you take a little piece of this place with you yeah and he's kind of laughing he's saying like I think I am. Yeah. Knowing that yeah, he's covering yeah. for a robbery and like it all reads as comedy, but it is George Lucas's, I think, inherent like, I don't like the system. I don't yeah. like the man. Nobody would look at this billionaire who's been a billionaire for decades, yep. kind of pudgy, little his little dad beard and his flannel and I always wear jeans and like he has the heart of a rebel. And yeah. that's where all of this comes from. It is. It's so interesting. And it and it does sort of, yeah, it permeates through everything. Um, and so where, I mean, what are your thoughts on like on the casting here? Dreyfus and and Howard and um, and the other gentlemen, like what what do you well, cause um so Richard Dreyfus, so for instance, there's this great the scene where she finally calls him. Right. Yeah. And he picks it. He races to the payphone. He picks up his phone and he just yells at her <laughs> for like 90 seconds. He's just so excited. And he is so excited. Do right? you know me? <laughs> but it wasn't even like it wasn't even this endearing kind of like, oh, I'm so, you know, like it was just like this. Ah! And wasn't endearing to me at least no no i mean there's no chill like and i mean and i think that's what 
he he's got to this place of a little bit more honesty and that's how he honestly feels and to me that that's nice like that's part of that arc of them all getting a little bit closer to just being a human and dropping the baggage of what masculinity is supposed to be yeah it's funny you say that too because um something i noticed throughout this whole movie is that no one looks like an actor um even even uh, actors who who are now household names or went on to do plenty of things like even the makeup in the first scene um ron howard has has acne and you can see it yeah and and i and i was like why didn't they get makeup in there like i mean in and I and then as like in the at the at the hop scene, um, I couldn't help but think about Greece. Yeah. Like I couldn't help but compare the two. And um and I was thinking to myself, God, Greece is so Hollywood, and this is so not. Like I almost wonder if he actively was like, No, I don't want everybody to look perfect. I don't want everybody to look pretty. I want them all to be authentic, real teenagers, or as close to that as we can get. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, I think there was a desire to really make make it look like it did yeah. in his childhood in Modesto and really, really make it uh, look and feel exactly the truth. And, you know, whoever Steve was in George Lucas's mind probably had acne in real life. Right, sure. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think the casting in the performances are all great. The only one that is weird for me um, is Harrison Ford. Oh, because a the weird South Chicago accent, as we've decided to <laughs> randomly call it, sure. But there's something going on there that's not normal Harrison Ford right. voice, um, and that he's not playing any of the characters. There, there's nothing of the characters that will go on to make Harrison Ford famous. Mm. There's none of the the charming rogue. He's an asshole. Uh-huh. He's an obnoxious jerk who is also like wrong about how fast his car can go safely. Yes, that's true. Uh, I will say though, I kind of wanted him to win. (laughs) (laughs) Is that because uh, you hated the other guy? A little, yeah. a little, a little, yeah. but also, uh, also, I actually kind of liked Harrison Ford's character because I thought he was weird and and fun. And yes, he is an asshole. But honestly, I felt like they were all assholes. Oh yeah, they and, are. And so it's like, okay, well, what kind of what version of this do you respond to? I suppose. <laughs> Here's the thing: is I think Harrison Ford was older and yes. looks older than yes. everybody else, and he's wearing that that uh, cowboy hat. Yes. So it just reads as. This is a coming-of-age story about a bunch of people graduating high school. Maybe Milner is maybe supposed to have graduated already. Yeah. Um, and then a guy who's six to ten years older comes to town inexplicably wearing a cowboy hat, wanting to find the teenager who drives fastest to beat him. And it's like, how sad for you, adult man, that you've come to this small California town to race your car faster and pick up younger women. This yes. is like, if he read as... 19 instead of 28 sure Uh, yeah so to me there's something like i like it because it's weird yep but it's so uh, to me he's not the character is not likable nor is he supposed to be likable yeah and that's so weird to see harrison ford it almost just it almost just doesn't work because harrison ford is so likable especially as soon as he gets into that sort of role of uh the rebel the hero the masculine who has enough humanity to kind of wink at the camera and doubt himself. Yeah. Well, and also, I mean, and to your, as earlier when we were talking about the accent, like, I, I think you're right. It was supposed to be Southern, but I, 
I think that whatever Harrison Ford's <laughs> natural accent or way he talks is was so overpowering <laughs> that that because of course he's wearing a cowboy hat. Like yeah. he's not from Chicago wearing a cowboy hat. Like <laughs> that just be the weirdest it, guy. <laughs> but that would be kind of amazing if he was. Yeah, because that's the thing is his natural inclination is a, has a, a slow mumble, right? To be like uh-huh. kind of down here, maybe as Harrison Ford, and then to try to do that with his southern accent, a slow, quiet mumble southern accent is is, is weird, weird. Uh, but i will say that out of all the one thing i i did notice that i i felt pretty strongly about was uh, like we were saying this is a cast of of actors who went on to do plenty of things and some of them are household names recognizable all of that um but of all of them i felt like harrison ford jumped off of the screen as okay. like that is it that is Either maybe I wouldn't go as far as to say that is a movie star, but like that is someone who is different. Yeah, there's somebody who is different than this whole rest of this guy. Like Dreyfus can have all the Oscars, and Ron Howard is obviously an icon for many reasons, and uh, the gal who played Laurie is Laverne yeah, and Shirley, Cindy Williams. Yeah, and Candy Clark, Oscar nominee for this movie. Like all those things, but but Harrison Ford to me, I was like, you know, he's different. He stands out to me at least from this cast of characters, and it, it was no surprise to me. Like, so, oh yeah, of course he became a huge movie star. He yeah. just looks like a movie star. And he and even when he's being goofy and it the whole thing doesn't work, it's like there's something that is magnetic about him, yeah. you know? Do you know this some enchanted evening scene where he sings that yes. was cut from the original release and then Lucas was was pissed about it because of course he wanted final cut and he didn't get it and that's uh, something that they cut for time. But then when it was re-released, as soon as Star Wars was successful, it got put back in forever. And Gee, been, I wonder always why. Been. <laughs> more, more Harrison Ford, please. But some enchanted. E- it's, it's, so, it's so it's so just to me incongruous with everything that Harrison Ford became. It, and it also doesn't go anywhere. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it wasn't it when I was watching it. All I remember is they cut back to him in the car with Lori <laughs> singing the song, and she's just like, "What is happening?" The hell is this guy? And then cut away. That's it. And it was, <laughs> It would make more sense to me if it was like some like uh, old Texas song, yes, you know. Of course, but, uh, of course. Yeah, it made little sense to me. I thought the woman who played Candy was great, who goes on the date with Toad. So, uh, yeah, her uh, Debbie Dunham Deb- is the char- character. Candy Clark is the yes, actor. Yeah, that's right. Yes, yes. But she looks like a Candy though. Yeah, she's she got that does. white blonde. Yeah, she was great, and and their relationship was so endearing um, because it. I what did I write down? I think I wrote down somewhere, uh, like, like you know what? She's just she's doing really good with him. <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. How did you feel about that? That's my favorite uh, storyline. How did you? Did you? Were you finding yourself angry at Toad? Were you identifying with Debbie in any way? No, but I I thought she was cute. I thought I thought like she actually felt. You know how there are some. I mean, this is a very extreme example, but. Sometimes uh, my boyfriend will do things that would annoy me if anyone else did them. Okay. And I'd be like, that's just how you are. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, he and I I have had conversations where I've said to him, like, yes, I I hear what you're saying. Um, I do not agree with you. And uh, I think that's all there is to say about it. It's just like, move on. And so I'm... (laughs) That could be like your motto, though. And I mean, that is a huge compliment because you you disagree with people very smoothly. Yeah, well, thank you. But, but, But the point I'm making is just like, there are some people when you really just feel like you click with them yeah 
that you just observe them almost and you go, well, this is just how you are. And, yeah. and I find it okay. Like when he goes, well, hot wire, go grab some wires. She goes, all right, well, um, <laughs> let me just, and it was, it was quite charming to me, you know? Yeah. So I liked, I like, I will say I liked her more than him. Um, just because she's just so silly. Like she's, to me, she didn't, um, here's what it was. She, all these actors, I think with the exception of, um, <clears throat> For all these characters, with the exception of Ron Howard, to me, feel a little bit like caricatures, right? Yeah. They're, they're in stereotypes. Um, and, and I think that's on purpose, you know, like playing into those conversations about masculinity and this time in your life and all of those things. Um, she looks like a caricature of a dumb blonde, of like, you know, whatever. Yes. Uh, but she doesn't play it like that at all. And I love that. Yeah. And to me, looking back on it, uh, the movie presents her as the the fantasy of like how did the nerd pick up the super hot yep. blonde girl and i like that the movie then just disassembles that by yes. making her be just sort of like well, whatever but it also uh sort of uh, i think it's like the great antithesis of kurt's story of chasing this fantasy dream woman and yeah. it's again like probably more baggage from my youth of how we're encouraged to look at romance of like Yes. It's all so Im- impossible. And oh, if this beautiful girl would turn and look at me and just be like, the most beautiful girl in the world is also a human who cuts her toenails and prefers a specific kind of liquor. And, yes. you know, well, maybe give you a chance if you're human. Yeah. You know, like, and just takes away, strips away all that baggage and just makes the relationship and the act of having a relationship just human and normal. Yeah. I liked their dynamic. I thought it was, and I thought it was sweet too. Yeah. Like I, and it didn't feel to me, it was the one relationship that didn't feel um, hokey at the end where he was like, yeah, but I don't have, oh, I wish, you know, it's like the Vespa line. I loved that line <laughs> yeah, where he's like, like, we could have just, we could take my Vespa. And she's like, oh, well, that's kind of like a motorcycle. Okay. And I like motorcycles. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was just so endearing. One of my favorite parts is that is when they, the car gets stolen and they're walking through the woods and she is insisting on. On randomly talking about the goat killer <laughs> yeah. who cuts people apart and then leaves a goat's head and he's like please please stop talking about it. i i find them both charming yeah. because i like that she is a real interesting believable person and then he just to me he nails the rhythms of comedy oh yeah as the nerd yes. guy you yes. know just just perfectly yeah, I like I like them together. They're very cute. There was one. Uh, oh well, I don't think. Oh yes, it, this was it. So okay, there was in the in the long line of um, of teenage coming of age, end of high school yeah. movies. There was this TV movie called Dance Till Dawn <laughs> that I own on DVD. Oh wow! And it the cast is ridiculous. It's Kelsey Grammer, Matthew Perry, Alyssa Milano, uh, Christina Applegate. Um, uh, oh my god! I know I am forgetting like some crazy famous people that are in this movie. But anyway, it is another one that is basically American Graffiti, except. Um, Except on prom night. Okay. Okay. And uh, there is a relationship where Alyssa Milano is dating the hot jock and uh, he breaks up with her because she won't have sex with him. And so uh, she ends up going out on a date with the uh, with the nerd guy and they and they end up spending the whole night together. And but what I love about and I know this is like a very random movie that no one else will have (laughs) ever seen, uh, let alone own on DVD. But I guess the point I'm making is like there are scenes where. 
um, in that movie also where everybody gets to actually be real people. Yeah. Like, and, and break away from, and of course you have to lean into the stereotypes in, in filmmaking and storytelling. That's fine. But, but they get to break out of them and, and, and really develop these characters. And they give this nerd guy who's like, you know, perfectly sweet, but also not a pushover. Yeah. And, um, and was only going on, oh, that's right. Cause Alan Thicke plays his dad. <laughs> and so he's like, Hey son, you're going to go to the prom and like, you know, with a hot girl or whatever. And he's like, yeah, dad, whatever. And he goes to the movies with his friend and then yeah. runs into Alyssa Milano there. Cause she's been dumped. And right. They, and she's like, I need a date. And they spend the, the evening together. Yeah. But anyway, the point I'm making is I just like, I, it reminded me again, like everybody is stealing from American graffiti, but yeah. it reminded me of that. And it was a very, again, it just was a sweet dynamic that yeah. I, I think I also really like it because there's not a sense of, and it's kismet and they find each other and then we're going to expect to check in on them, be married. You get, I just got the sense from, uh, from Debbie that she's like, I've dated this kind of guy. I've dated this kind of guy. I'm, I'm going to try this guy. Sure. It almost feels like I had steak the last five nights, so I'll try some chicken. Yep. Chicken's good too. Chicken's great. And there's no like, and surprise, she discovered the secret that nerds are best. Totally. Which sometimes is a story. Nerds write for some reason. I mean, weird how that happens. Yeah. Uh, but I will, and you know, it also, it, conversely, I like how this one, un, in a movie that I would say American Graffiti is, it, again, some of it has just really not aged well. Listening to Ron Howard say to a woman, uh, <laughs> you, you don't want me to, wait, you don't want me to forget you, do you? You want it and you know it. Like, I was like, this is America's sweetheart, like, yeah. date raping this girl. Well, he's really trying not to be Opie, right? Because this is before Happy Days. True, true. Uh, so he's just really trying not to be a child actor, which yes. is fine. But, I mean, I, that, that I think is to me the biggest, uh, the hardest thing about this movie is that assault and the possibility of assault is everywhere. Yeah. But and I wanted to ask your feelings about it yeah. because it's presented as like an actual scary thing that might happen. Mm -hmm. uh, like when Carol gets like whistled at mm -hmm. and Milner pulls over and picks her up right away and it has a feeling of like to keep her safe. Yeah. Um, then Milner uses it as a kind of joke to scare her yeah, and she, into wanting she to go home. It. And yeah, she says it as a threat of like, if you don't do what I want, I will claim that you're doing this. And then he, he knows yes. that it will actually scare her if he says, Hey, I'm really into you. And then we got that scene with Ron Howard, which he's immediately slapped down for. Yeah. I loved because everything she, everything Lori says right back to him. I was like, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I'm glad at least she had to, but she goes back to him in the end, which I thought yeah. was shitty. Yeah. And um, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I think both of their stories could be seen as, like, they are clinging to one another. Totally. Like, he's doing the total douche thing of, like, I want to just try out other women. And then she reminds him of, like, you wouldn't be with me or have any of your sexual prowess if I had not basically right. initiated everything. Yeah. Um, but I think, to me, the is deeply unpleasant as it is to see and hear all of those almost mm -hmm. casual different uses and perspectives on it. Mm -hmm. It almost feels responsible in saying like, yeah, all of the permutations of the idea of assault are like, yeah, that's a night on, on the town. Yeah. That that is honestly a part of everything and it's lurking everywhere. Yeah. I think that, um, if it were made today, yes. I think that at the time some of it was played for laughs. Yeah. Um, and so that's always the part where I'm just like, meh. I don't really like you know what I'm saying yeah um, it's really it's really unpleasant yeah yeah but I mean I also I, 
it's hard because especially, you know, especially as we unpack more about, it's like you were saying, the romanticized notion of like, if a girl says no, you just have to wait around or you just have to keep trying yeah. or you have to keep, or if you be friends with her, then maybe she'll figure out that she's romantically interested yeah. in you and you just have to sit and wait. And it's like, that's not good for anybody, <laughs> no. like you know, and, and, and it's incredibly frustrating, but that's the narrative that has been put forward, you know? Yeah. Um, so I say that to say, knowing who made this movie, I feel like all of it makes sense in his, made sense in his mind at the time. Yeah. And probably maybe, I don't know if he's, I don't know what George Lucas's thoughts on the matter are now, but like, yeah. you know what I'm saying? It just, to me, I'm not ex making an excuse for it, but I also am like, you know, no, my, knowing my own experience in, in culture and geek culture and working with, you know, sensitive people or artistic people or whatever, like I know this narrative. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think he probably, I don't know though. I don't know if he did it intentionally as like, when you talk about the sadness that I think is, is running through this film and I yeah. do agree, I don't know if that portion of it, um, maybe even crossed his mind. Yeah. You know? I, yeah. I don't know. I also just wonder how much too that, the. Uh, the woman who worked a lot right. on the script, Gloria Katz, because like I've said a lot of great things about what an auteur George Lucas yes. is, but also he's a writer who doesn't like to write. True. And he is one of the credited screenwriters, but I think a lot of the words that we heard yeah. uh, were written by what is, it's a Willard Hoyk and Gloria Katz. Yeah. Uh, so I've, I've found myself wondering that too, of like, I certainly think that in general, George Lucas is a sensitive soul. Mm -hmm. He is certainly, uh, it's relatively well documented in various biographies that his relationship with Marsha Lucas, she mm -hmm. had to work on him to open him up mm -hmm. emotionally. And she's an editor on this film and on Star Wars. Um, but I wondered how much some of these representations, a little bit more honest representations of women mm -hmm. as humans came from there being a woman writer. Yeah, probably. Well, like one note, one thing I noticed is when they're announcing uh, Steve and Lori to come, I don't know, to take a dance in the spotlight or whatever, yeah. they actively call her the head cheerleader and him the class president. Yeah. And I was like, there's some wish fulfillment going on here because yeah. nothing about either of these. Again, I just maybe it's casting or whatever. And not to say, no, I don't want to say that. But I just felt like noting that this guy is um, breaking up with the head cheerleader. Yeah. Felt a little on the nose to me. OK. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Like a little bit like, I mean. <laughs> I get what you're doing here. <laughs> and you know what? Look, it's your movie. It's your fantasy land. Get yeah. to, like, uh, do... It's just so stereotypical, the the branding her. Why couldn't she just be Lori? Yeah. Like, his girlfriend, who is sweet and cool and smart and all these things. Yeah. Who he's been dating. Like, the idea that this guy is working so hard to be like, nah, girl, not interested. Also, she's the hit cheerleader. I'm like, yeah. come on. Well, to me, it was because they're the establishment sure. because and they are the royalty of the high school, sure. which then gets venerated by the town and by like those good mm -hmm. town people that we saw in that store that Kurt robbed. Yep. And I think by giving them official titles too, it puts them as a part of like the system. Yeah. And, uh, Lori is also the one who doesn't want to leave home. True. Because she's a part of the system, man. True. <laughs> it's true. And there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with being part of the system either. Yeah. If, if you choose that, if you want to be that. Um, but it's not for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. I get gotcha. you. Um, there was one more thing I wanted to 
ask you about, but now I don't remember. Uh, oh, well, it's not really asking about it. It's just funny to me to think that <laughs> how, how many years later uh, Ron Howard and George Lucas went on to make one of my favorite movies ever, which is Willow. Oh, yeah. I love Willow. Yeah, I have not seen Willow in years. I'm going to have to rewatch it and reconsider it. Um, it's fascinating now, obviously, that Ron Howard is making or made solo yes yeah oh all right yes i didn't even think about that yeah ron howard gave an interview relatively recently where he said that on the set of american graffiti is like hey george what's next and george described star wars and said like well i want to make this kind of b movie this is fun uh, action adventure in space and be kind of like fantasy tropes but it's gonna have a really high budget and it's not gonna be like that you've seen before and that ron howard is like okay, George. <laughs> and then when he went and saw it a couple of years later, it's like, holy crap, yeah. that's exactly what he described. And like, that was Ron Howard's way of saying like, yeah, I feel like I have been around Star Wars and understood yeah. Star Wars and where it, where it came from for a long time. So that's like, cool. yeah, the power of that relationship and, and well, the length of it is cool. One of these days we'll have a conversation. Well, we need to see Solo first. Yes. And then have oh, a conversation about the about uh, it. Yeah, the behind the scenes. The, yeah. The BTS drums. Yeah. Now, you had said that you were shocked that it, it was that American Graffiti got as many nominations. Yes. At the Oscars. Yes. So do you, after talking about it some more, do you feel, do you, do you still feel like it's insane that it was nominated? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. Then, okay, because, you know, fair enough. Sometimes, but then, but then again, to, to be completely fair, actually, and this is something that I have learned as I've been doing this podcast, I do look to the sixties and the seventies and the early eighties. They at least were, were considerate of blockbuster entertainment yeah. in terms of the Oscars and in terms of claim like the idea that star wars was nominated for best picture or a new hope you uh, you know um or the fact that the exorcist could have more than 10 oscar nominations like this is stuff that's really cool to me and um and i wish that we could sort of pivot back to that where we included all kinds of entertainment yeah um and so uh and not just like the one-off year where where get out is gonna be oh we're gonna give it a lot of nominations and it's like Good, you should, but also you can do this again next year, <laughs> yes. you know, and you could do it with more than one movie, you know? Yeah. So, um, so I will say that even though personally, I do not, uh, would not say that I feel like this movie is worthy of Academy attention. Yeah. Um, I do appreciate the fact that it could have been considered. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's what I would say. What about you? Yeah. Uh, to me, it, it does make some kind of weird sense because I think it was probably hitting a nerve with mm. the people who were voting True. for it. Great point. And that Great I think it, it was dealing in tropes and somehow managing to still do them a little bit honestly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would have to look and see how many slice of life movies were being made at the time. So I think maybe that's one of the things that would make it sparkle if everything else was kind of heavy yep. event movies. Yep. Uh, that something just kind of structurally surprising of like, oh, it's just one night and it's a bunch of yep. kind of on the surface comedy vignettes that come together to have this sort of a deeper feeling to them. Yeah. I mean, that's that's my best guess for what was motivating. I think you make a great point about the timing of it all too. Like I think that knowing, for instance, knowing the way that my dad, let's see, my dad would have been 
uh, about 20 when this movie came out. And so, and he has such a nostalgia, uh, or affinity for, um, for that time period, even yeah. though he was just a kid, you know, when it was, and he was gr- actively growing up. So I guess what I'm saying is, um, I think this movie probably really touched a nerve, like you said, and that's a really important point to consider is like looking back at it, we can be like, okay, you know, cool, but, um, <laughs> or, or pick out the things that are kind of special about it or hint at the future for yeah. these actors or for George Lucas. But, um, but yeah, I, I think you, you're spot on. It's like the timing was probably right. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm excited that, uh, Candy Clark, Debbie was nominated she, for best supporting actor. She actually, and, that, and that's a performance where, where it, to me, again, it, it just stood out. And so the idea like, yeah, that's actually to, one of those, one of those Oscar things where you, you look and you're like, oh yeah, they, they actually did think outside the box yeah. on that one, which is cool because yeah. rightfully so she's great. Yeah. She's so great, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. And then they didn't win anything. So maybe <laughs> it got shut out. So maybe that uh, started George Lucas's anger. <laughs> Against the establishment. Against the establishment, man. <laughs> Those blasted Oscars. Um, all right. Well, before oh, before I ask you our final question. Oh, right. Um, is there anything else that you want to talk about? Uh, no, no. I think that was, uh, um, I, I think for huge Star Wars nerds, there is the the fun that Milner's car is just the exact same color as Anakin's speeder yeah. in in Attack of the Clones, so there are the direct nods in his license plate being THX I, I did notice yeah. that. They, yeah. There are those. There are those direct nods, and of course, the just constant racing in Star Wars movies. Always American graffiti. Yes. Love it. Um, and I actually just I we've we've already gone. I'm not. I'm in no hurry, but um, I I'm disappointed because I forgot to talk to you about nostalgia. Um, but I don't want to take too much of your time, so we'll save it. <laughs> okay. We'll save it for another time. Um, but okay, everybody gets to pick a movie that's not on the list. Yeah. That they would add to the list. So what is your pick? Hot Fuzz. Uh, really? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Was that your, I disagree with you, Faith? No, okay. not at all. Yeah. I just wasn't expecting okay. that. Okay, yeah, yeah. I was hoping that maybe it had made it on one of these lists. I didn't expect it to be on, like, 100 greatest sure. lists. But, I, but you know, there's so many different lists. I yeah. thought maybe it had would be on the comedy list. And we're talking is... Hot Fuzz directed by Edgar Wright. Yep. Okay. Yep. Uh, to me, it is just one of the most, uh, it's funny. It's incredibly intricately made. I think it is the film of the Cornetto trilogy that holds up yes. the best. Like I love Shaun of the Dead, but every single word, every single beat pays off and connects to another beat uh-huh. in Hot Fuzz. So it's just like an amazing technical accomplishment. But to me, whenever I'm trying to describe to people that like, I believe comedy is a language mm. and you can say anything with it just like you can say anything in English or in French mm-hmm. you can say anything in drama or comedy and hot fuzz to me is so very clearly deeply about it's okay to not be a perfectionist totally because that's what's going on with the hero that's what's going on with the village who is obsessed with making everything perfect and it's all just wrapped up in this hilarious and super accurate action movie parody I, yeah i love it to death. I, I love it too i really do i love hot fuzz and timothy dalton's so good in that he movie. is amazing he's so good yeah he is really he's the mvp of that movie oh yeah me. i i agree and you know i think like it's funny because um when i walked out of scott pilgrim for the first time um which i was not part of the comic-con audience that said <laughs> okay. it was going to change the world um but when i did see it i walked out of there and was like I don't feel like I've ever, 
I the words I used were this was like seeing Star Wars. Oh wow. Like I was just like I don't feel like I I've went into a world. I don't feel like I've ever seen anything done quite this way. It it just felt so to me wholly unique. Yeah. And and new. Um, I know it was based on a graphic novel, obviously, but yeah. um, but just as a film, to me, it, it just so anyway. I say that to say that Edgar is is so Edgar's really good at what he does. Yeah, uh, I haven't seen Baby Driver yet. Have you? I have. Did you enjoy it? I did, but I liked it. Um, it it, uh, it is incredibly inventive, and it has this, this great constant sense of motion. But for me, it it uh, stumbles a little bit toward the end. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. I like Edgar Wright. I like all, all of the movies he's done, but I think there is some unique chemistry between Edgar Wright, Simon Pegg, and Nick Frost, and particularly between Wright and Pegg as yeah. writers. Yeah. That there is something unique that they tapped into, that they're both great in everything they do, but there's something really probably, like, annoyingly special about their chemistry, like Lennon-McCartney of, like, yes. yep, that's great, and you're great by yourself, but, you know, I know as a creator, sometimes that's frustrating when you're like, I want to go do my own thing, but I happen to make this special magic with this other person. Yeah, totally. So everybody wants me to do things with them. So, Edgar Wright, if you're listening, I apologize. I do like your other movies, but there is just something un- unique. They yes. tapped into something in those those films. And, uh, and isn't it funny how um, Hot Fuzz is the second installment of a trilogy? Yeah. <laughs> and we all know uh, the second installment of a trilogy is usually the best. It usually is the best, yeah. Um, but, no, I mean, I do think there's something to be said for the fact that, like, they their partnership they got to play they got to do i think they got to play in a world where they felt super comfortable with Shaun of the dead yeah Um, not saying it was easy or anything like that but just like the idea of genre and these people are probably playing a version of one of them or they're playing themselves maybe to a to an extent um but with Hot Fuzz, I do feel like they started to branch out, do things a little bit differently. And also you get that momentum going. Yeah. Like you get that, you know, we're, we're on a roll. Okay, let's go. It's firing on all cylinders. Yeah. Uh, to, to use a car metaphor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. I think it's just got this great mixture of feeling so flowing and organic when it's about rigidity. And yes. if you watch the behind the scenes stuff, which I have sort of watched, mm-hmm. especially like some of the outtakes obsessively mm. and Simon Pegg and Nick Frost are cracking each other up and they're, they're bringing all of that organic goofiness and poor Edgar Wright, you can hear in the background being one of their three buddies. They're all, all comedy buddies, but he's the guy who's got the responsibility. He's constantly like, please guys, please, 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 come on, come on, please. And Does I feel t- for him. Does a nerve for you a little bit? It does because you need both when yeah, you're making you something like this, when you're making a piece of like comedy art, you need that expressive organic side and you need that like but it does need to be just right or it won't land yeah and that's it's not fun to have to be the person in the room who's like yep the uh can you just stick to the first way you made that fart noise because that really is the best one i know you want to experiment with eight different fart noises yeah but the first fart noise was solid well and also when it comes to um you know when it comes to like Shaun of the dead or hot fuzz the idea that um so Shaun of the dead has some dark stuff in it for sure and um also has some like life the deeper life stuff in there with um with simon or Sean and his mom and and his relationships and growing up and all of that. Um, But I think, and I think one of the things that Hot Fuzz does so beautifully is take 
all of the deeper stuff and make it deeper and take all of the darker stuff and make it darker, (laughs) which is also super fun because it is laugh out loud funny, but it is super dark and I kind of, I'm kind of into it. Yeah. It's, it's a really honest critique of the world. Yeah. And, and violent and just great. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great choice. Awesome. Great. Now, would you add that to the comedy list or the overall best movies? Both. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, would you, uh, if I were to say, because American Graffiti is on the big list. Yeah. And so if you had to, uh, if I say Joseph, <laughs> you had to, what would you, what would you put onto the, the big list? Would it be American Graffiti or would it be Hot Fuzz? Uh, I would, I would bump Graffiti for now just to give Hot Fuzz and the conversation about comedy as genre. Yes. A little bit more exposure. Okay. I know, I know American Graffiti is seen mostly as a comedy. Yes. But I, I don't think, I think modern viewers watching it are not going to process it as a comedy. No. The way it was at the time. No. There's I, just too much going on. I would agree. I would agree. Yeah. Sorry, American Graffiti. <laughs> you, you'll be fine. I do like it a, a lot. I just think, I just think like everything else, like you were talking about with genre. Yeah. Uh, in general, I want comedy to be not an outlier. And, yeah. And because then we will get better comedy movies that have substance and aren't just studios demanding crotch shots so here's a here's a question and we'll wrap it up after this um i had my friend hector navarro on yeah i love hector and i do too he is great and um he used the example of annie hall because he wants more animation uh on the big list you know he's like animation is not it's a it's a medium it's not a genre so he's like so animated movies can be just as good as regular movies (laughs) you don't have to grade them on a curve uh and so he he said uh you know sorry any hall like you're fine but like get out of there let's, let's put some other things on there so would you trade i don't know where you i don't even know how you, where you stand on woody allen movies yeah. in general but like would you trade annie hall for a uh, hot fuzz? oh in a hot oh, second in a, in a yes. hot second immediately i'm gonna start a petition annie hall overrated for you you know what? I haven't seen Annie Hall in years. I, I can't right now divorce Woody Allen's work sure. from what's going on in his personal life. Yeah. So for sure, given that, uh, that Edgar Wright seems to be a uh, just fine human being, and I really like his work, <laughs> let's give him some time on it's the a, list. It's a twofer. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. All right. Last call for any other insightful comments. I know you have millions of them. Uh, no, that's it. I'm out. I used <laughs> them all. I okay. used all of my insight. I like that goat killer scene. That goat killer scene is great. Yeah. Deal. Well, Joseph, thank you so much for finally coming on my show. Yeah, You've been absolutely. so kind to have me on all of your many shows. And uh, I will be sure to plug them both before and after in your oh, intro you. and outro. Um, but this is so fun. And I would have never watched this movie had you not picked it. So <laughs> Your podcast is working. It's so good. <laughs> all right, buddy. Thank you again. Thank you. that's going to do it for us today. Did you enjoy that episode? I I really enjoyed it. I really, really liked that one. Considering I didn't really love the film, uh, this was one of my favorite conversations that I have had on this show. So thank you to Joseph Scrimshaw. If you enjoyed his insights, and trust me, I have done many a show with Joseph, and there are plenty. Uh, Don't forget, he has the Obsessed podcast, which I have been on, talking about both Penny Dreadful, and then I came back for another episode talking about my favorite John Woo 90s action movie, 
face off. Uh, so you can listen to those episodes on the Obsessed podcast and so many more. And he, if you're a Star Wars fan, he is also one of the hosts of the Force Center podcast feed. Um, once again, both have Patreons and you can find him on Instagram and Twitter at Joseph Scrimshaw um, or on his website, josephscrimshaw.com. He is the best and you are the best. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the show, please rate and review. Uh, that helps on your podcast app of choice. That helps people find the show. And uh, if you're interested in um, in participating on Patreon, so there is not going to be a um, a mini this week because I wanted to, you know, I just love the conversation as it was. I, I didn't want to chop it up this time. However, if you are a subscriber to the Patreon at $5 a month or higher, you get to participate in our monthly movie live stream this month. Yay! And I know it's the month of March, but it's going to be taking place on Sunday, April 1st. No April Fool in. <laughs> Ooh, we should watch a funny movie. I literally just thought of that. Okay, anyway, so uh, no mini on Thursday, but if you are a contributor to the Patreon, thank you so much. Um, you get to do the live stream with us this month. That's going to be a lot of fun. And if you're not a contributor to the Patreon, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's show, and I'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>